What is up? You are listening to Low Hanging Fruit. My name is AJ and you can find more of our content on Twitter at LHF underscore pod and on my Medium page, austinjandrews.medium.com. You can get in touch with us on our Twitter or shoot us an email at lowhangingfruitpod at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel coming soon for our live recording, so please keep an eye out for that. And of course, thank you for listening and here is the show. All right, y'all, you are listening to Low Hanging Fruit. I am AJ, and that is Guy Fieri. He is joining me from beautiful Tampa Bay, Florida. Um, he was lucky enough to get down near the stadium, right? Yeah. Earlier yeah. today. I was um, out. So he was right in the mix of all of the good shit that was happening down there. Um, real quick, you can find us on Twitter at lhf underscore pod you can email us at low hanging fruit pod at gmail you can find me on medium at austinjandrews.medium.com and our podcast is now up on spotify and five other links now which i will post somewhere at some point i just got all the emails during the game so i haven't even looked at it yet um, we're coming off a hot win in Tampa. We couldn't wait until tomorrow to do this. So, you know, we wanted to get in while the getting was good. So, 2 1 win. Um, 3 three, 1. Fuck, I forgot about the goal at the end, too. The dagger with two minutes left. Um, I'm still stuck on that Coleman goal. That's all I could think about. So, um, period one. Immediately, we talked about last time how the D-men have been pressing a lot more recently, especially Chernak. Um, well, a combination of a overly aggressive D-rush and a bad line change immediately leads to Vazzy having to make a massive save on Nick Suzuki. And we also said that Toffoli, Suzuki, and Caulfield line was non-existent. They were completely shut down last game, and they came out with nine shots in the first period, and they had three. The revised stat was three shots combined last game. I said four, but apparently it was three on the stat board tonight. So um, they came out hot, 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 Um, and they didn't really get anything done. Um, First period, it stuck 0-0. Tyler Johnson was flying around. Um, back in 2015, we played the Habs and he sunk one on price with, it was expiring time. And I think the third period to win the game too. So, I mean, I don't know if him being bumped up to the second line because of the Kalorn injury, like gave him a little extra gas or just being with Sorelli and Stamkos having to mentally elevate his game again. But I mean, even from the, from the first period, he was flying out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, we did have a power play almost immediately into the game. Did not set up in the zone well at all. Um, it was just pass, pass, and then out of the zone. Uh, never got a few chances there. We ended up uh, 
finishing the first 13 to six on shots. We had six shots in the first period. It was the first time in several games I can remember just off the top of my head that we were outshot in the first period. So um, there was a four on four. It was a hard high stick by McDonough. I was going to say before we into this, um, before we start, like, the recap, I just want to say downtown Tampa was fun. Uh, it feels like a championship city. I know we get a lot of flack for uh, the race support, and we get a lot of flack for the Bucks support minus – Minus the Brady year. Uh, it's definitely a hockey city. It is without a doubt. I mean, just even on the TSN coverage that I was streaming on for the first uh, period of the game before I switched over to NBC, when they were showing the outside shots of Amelie with all of the people out there just sitting in rows watching the game, it was a massive turnout. So yeah, you yeah. can't say that this isn't a hockey city. And we had 19.2 thousand people in attendance inside of the stadium tonight, almost at full capacity. Yeah. And that's only because of the CDC stuff, not because there weren't tickets sold. It was completely sold out. Every bar um, within miles, square miles, which is a decent amount of bars in downtown Tampa, Channel Side Igor, all of them were full of blues jerseys. Shout out District Tavern. That's where I ended up after we went. I went to uh, the pregame outside of Emily, heard the music. I didn't. The weather wasn't great. And I had a friend that didn't want to stay. We didn't have chairs. So we ended up going to a bar where we could get drinks at a normal price. And chairs. Yeah, and chairs. And uh, it was fun. District Tavern was fun. Uh, all the bars were packed. It's, it's a cool time in Tampa. And then also I wanted to say, before we get into like the recap, I had some questions just in general. How, what did you think about Savard? Pretty non-existent. And that can either be a good thing or a bad thing, um, especially with how our defense is supposed to be so offensive minded. He has a couple assists in the playoffs, but otherwise I don't really notice him when he's out there. Other than the, I mean, he, he definitely has great stick presence when he's defending in our own zone. But I mean, I didn't see anything that necessarily pissed me off, or at least I missed it. I also didn't yeah, see anything yeah. amazing. That was that my, was, I didn't notice and I didn't notice anything bad. I did notice one thing. Uh, it was we had a power play where we were getting a lot of pressure, and he pinched. It was like the end of the power play, so we kind of like cycled on the, was the this line. The, one, the in the first period. Yeah, it was the end. It was towards the end of the first. Yeah, and okay. he he pinched, and the puck came around the to the blue line, and he was unable to control it, and it wasted like the last six seconds mm -hmm. 
which we had a lot of pressure for the 40 seconds before that. So right. that, and that was the second power play we had in that period. Cause like, like I said, the first one, we could not get set in, in the offensive zone at all. So, I mean, yeah, we had that 40 seconds of nonstop pressure and another puck goes wayside on a D man stick at the blue line. We saw yeah, Ruta yeah. a few times, Ruta and now Savard, but um, I mean, it, it's going to happen and getting that stuff out of the way early in the game will always help too. Um, but not noticing him on the ice is a good thing. Cause that means he's not a liability. Realistically. Yeah. And he was paired up with Sergachev tonight too. So a lot of the attention is going to be on him anyways. <clears throat> uh, so being paired up with Sergey, yeah. it's a blessing and a curse in a way. Um, Sergeyev loves the puck on his stick, you know? So not all the attention is going to be on Savard, especially offensively. Um, but, I mean, I haven't heard anything bad. I haven't seen anything bad. So I'll take it. I don't know if he's necessarily an upgrade from Shen. I think he is defensively because I've seen Shen turn into a pylon a couple times this season already. But we didn't need Shen's brutal presence on the ice like we needed in the last series against the Islanders. Like tonight, compared to the first game, it was relatively tame right until the end of the third period where that big yeah, yeah, yeah. came in, where uh, I think it was Deneau that took a big run at Sergachev on the boards with like three seconds left or something like that, and it caused the whole scrum at the end of the game too. So, I mean, I guess I like what I'm seeing from Spark. Other than, like you mentioned, the the fail pickup at the blue line, which what happens if you hold that puck in, especially with us being down so many shots in the first period, not maintaining pressure in the offensive zone. I mean, I think we need him to keep that puck in there. So I think those things will work themselves out. He's still new to our system in a way. And I think we just expect people to come into Tampa and perform now. You know, and because there, it's an easy plug-in. I mean, it's I'm not saying it's an easy system, but you're not, you know, Safar didn't get traded here to become a game breaker. You know, he came in to slot in on the D-line when we had injuries. So yeah. <laughs> and then know. Joseph. Um, I thought Joseph played fine. I do think that we missed we missed Killer. Big time. Yeah, especially yeah. on the first power play that we had. Yeah. Not being able to get set, he's a huge part of that. When he holds the puck, it allows everyone else to get positioned. Then he draws a lot of attention towards himself while he's down deep in the boards holding that puck there. So um, I think Sorelli did a great job filling in for him on the power play itself. But his, his presence was missed, and it was noticeable to anybody who's seen – more than three or four power plays by the Bolts this season. So, which there have been plenty examples even in the even in the postseason too. So, um, again, defense getting involved on rushes. Chernak almost had the first goal again. He came in, I think it was like a minute and a half, and just ripped one by Price just wider than that. And if that puck was on the net, it's just like it, like it was last night with Colton. Like if that puck was on the net, it was in, it was in, hands down. So, 
he was getting involved super early and I, I would have, I don't know what I would have done if he took the first goal again, I would have freaked out. Um, in the second intermission, um, I, or in the first intermission, I'm sorry, I noticed something came across the screen. The Canadians request to up their attendance from 3,500 to 10,500 was denied by the, uh, whatever the Canadian equivalent of the CDC is, uh, for games three and four and six, if they need to get there. Um, but there'll be 3,500 fans in the stands for the rest of the series is what it sounds like. So the request was denied. I think that will probably still end up playing a factor. If they get, you know, 10,000 fans in there, they can make it sound like a full stadium. That's three quarters of the way full already. Basically, I think they can seat like 17 or 18,000 in their stadium. So um, that was, I, I, it's going to be a factor, hands down. And we talked about it on the last one, playing a full 60. They didn't play a full 20 minutes in the first period. No. So, or in general, I thought the Bulls didn't play well. I thought the third period, you know, they kind of really turned it on. But the first two periods, I thought they were flat. Uh, they were never, it seemed like, first to the 50-50s. Um, the second line, we talked about the second line of Montreal. And last the last recap, I said they were absent in game one. And it's not going to be like that mm -mm. for the rest of the series. And it was not like that. No. They came out so hot. Yeah. So, um, I mean... Overall, I there's a lot of things to not like about how the Lightning played, and they are so fortunate that that wasn't 2-0 going in to the second period at the least. Because um, Suzuki had an immediate chance from that bad line change, and Bazzi bailed us out the entire game. The whole game, he was just on his head. He bailed us out big time. Um, Oh, also, if you hear any groaning noises, that's my sister's dog that's laying next to me. He's a very vocal, moody boy. So, oh, and he just sighed at me. Thanks. But he, he'll he just go mm, in his sleep. So if you hear something, I promise it's not my stomach. Uh, right in the beginning of period two, Vasilevsky, he's been using his stick a lot more than usual. I noticed that off rip in the first period too. He already has a tendency to play aggressive to make himself look big uh, to the, uh, you know, to whoever has the puck on their stick, but he was so active getting his stick out there. Um, he did it on Suzuki on a breakaway. Uh, Suzuki pulled it to his left side to try to put it around his skate and he just boop, pushed his stick out and knocked it away. He did it again immediately uh, at the beginning of the second period. Um, and then Sergachev has been doing the same exact thing with his stick. He's starting to get his stick right down onto the ice a lot more rather than trying to use uh, the toe or the heel to block passes. 
he's putting his whole stick shaft on the ice. He did it twice in the first period and did it once immediately into the second. And it turned into an odd man rush for the lightning and a shot opportunity. Um, it was their first, the first bolt shot in 13 minutes and 30 seconds was sprung off of the Sergachev uh, defensive play. So I think the lightning are, they're going to, habitually go back to this type of play like we've seen them do in the regular season especially they're going to need to take it you know take advantage of opportunities like that and it's going to have to start in our own zone if we can't set up and make passes and make plays in the ozone for longer than 10 seconds um right after that Sorelli got his goal at 640 um it was one of those weird shots um, from the blue line, but right before that, this was the longest point that the Lightning were able to possess the puck in the offensive zone. Johnson was a huge piece of that. He was flying around behind the net, eventually got the puck to Ruda, Ruda back to Sorelli, and then Sorelli with a little wrister from the blue line. It just found its way in. It nicked the defender on the way in, but even at that point, I don't think that that made the difference of a goal or not. If the defender, if it didn't hit him, it still was going in the back of the net. Um, it was just an opportune shot and had enough bodies in front of the net where Price couldn't track the shot. And it put us up one. Uh, yeah, it put us up one one. And then it really, it was like a spark plug after that. You know, the Lightning end up needing motivation. And it comes in different forms, whether it's scrums or a, a weird goal or an early goal to go up. One way or another, they they need motivation at some points if they're not coming out of the gate firing on all cylinders. So they just started moving the puck a lot more after that. And then, unfortunately, it's a weak interference call in Sergachev. Um, yes, the Habs player did not have the puck on his stick. But Sergachev was just stronger than him in that situation. He goes down. And, you know, Habs get the call and immediately score a goal on the power play to tie it up. So um, at that point, 12 minutes into the second period, the shots are 23 to 8. So, you know, for the game to even be 1-1 at that point is extremely lucky. Um, I have it written down here. I'm not seeing a full 60. So it was evident from period one. It was evident in period two. It's just one of those things that they're going to have to rectify if they want to not hang on to Vazzy as the only hope for production and to bail them out like that. So um, there was a, oh, yeah, power play at the end of period two. Um, Armia with a high stick sent their best penalty color into the box. And we couldn't capitalize on that either. Um, Price came out to play the puck with his own stick, um, banked it off of Kucherov's skate and it almost found the back of the net too. So there was shaky plays in front of the net and behind the net in the Canadians D zone all game. Um, yeah, that was going to be a goal. Yeah. But I mean, with point, it said point three on the clock. Initially, I think it was like 0.8 seconds, something like that. That was when we saw the Coleman goal. He did it last year against the Bruins 
when, of all people, Zach Bogosian, who came over for a year from Buffalo, made that insane move. I've never seen Zach Bogosian beat in his entire career. And he put one of the wildest moves I've seen on somebody in the game against the Bruins last year, passes the puck over to Coleman, and Coleman does the same thing that he did in this game. He dives, put his stick on the puck, and it goes in the back of the net. And then Coleman also did this in college when he played for Miami of Ohio. So he's had three diving goals in his career now. So Eric Coleman getting the job done. You fucking love to see it. But I mean, I went wild. I scared the dog. Um, I just couldn't help myself. I jumped up as soon as that puck went in the net. And I looked up at the scoreboard, 0.3 seconds left to go 2-1 going into the third. So uh, at that point, what is there a table at going? Mm-hmm. Okay. At that moment, uh, after the after the Coleman goal, we had just watched 19 minutes of mediocre lightning. Yeah. Mediocre at best. And it was one-one, and the Canadians. I thought the Canadians like there were some things they didn't do, like you said. There was uh, some very reckless play out of the back, um, but. As far as, like, in the zone, uh, they played well, and they had a lot of energy, and they got a lot, a lot of pucks on the net. Mm-hmm. And um, the Volts didn't, and especially in that second period, just were incredibly flat, and that was a devastating goal to yeah. the Canadians. That because takes you, all the air out of the tires. Yeah. And they had just worked their ass off for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And to let that happen with that much time left in the period, like you were a second away from walking into the third period one-to-one. I mean, after dropping a game in the fashion that you did before, it's heartbreaking for Habs fans to watch that happen. And it was, it was such a close play. The defender was all over Coleman. He was inches away from batting that puck away, and Coleman still found a way to put it in the back of the net. So you can get 26, 28 shots on goal, but nobody was going to guess that that was going to happen anyways. You just get lucky. So that's where having a goaltender like Vasilevsky comes into play um, because he gives you opportunities to stay in the game even when you aren't performing. And that's just huge. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know who else we would have in the net that would be able to do that for us. Bazzi's <clears throat> not in net for us this game. We do not win this game. Hands down. We let a couple in and then we start losing it. We just start losing our minds. We're not playing at the same pace. You get desperate. These, these, Opportunities don't happen without Bazzi being back there. So period three comes. Coleman immediately also has a chance and uh, right from the slot. Doesn't really get his full stick on it. The puck goes wide. Um, but they came out swinging on both sides of the puck, defensive and offensive. Like you said earlier, when that, when that puck went in, the ice tilted immediately back into the Bolts' favor. 
Uh, all the wind was out of the sails for the first few minutes of the third period with Montreal. I mean, as a coach, I don't know what you say in the locker room after after that goal goes in, right as you're going into the locker room for the third period. So, um, I mean, the Bolts needed to capitalize on it, and they came out strong as hell in the third. Um, after about five or six minutes, the shots were up to 30 to 19, so they were gaining ground again. Um, and Coleman right at that 19th shot had another chance on price and price just flashed leather and completely snagged it with his, uh, with his mitt and, you know, just robbed another chance. So Coleman could have had three this game, but he had one and it was the one that we all wanted to watch at the end of the day. It's probably, it is going to be the best goal of the playoffs. I don't know how you top that. Um, it was the best goal of the playoffs last year next to points overtime winner uh, after the uh, the ridiculous five overtime game. So, I mean, it price bails them out again, and that keeps it to one um, point again with the two-way play tonight. It was more noticeable towards the end of the game once all of the lines got rolling. Um, but Toffoli had an odd man rush. Um, Point just put the Jets on and pressured him as much as possible, got his stick there, and Toffoli wasn't able to rip off a shot that was effective at all. And Point keeps up that two-way play that we I, – I mean, I didn't really notice it until about halfway through the regular season, and now it's just so refined. Um, that is 100% part of his skill set now. It's not by chance. Um, the Toffoli Suzuki Caulfield line played a lot better defense this period as well because they're still getting paired up with the top line of Pally, Point, and Kucherov. Um, they played much better defense. They weren't allowing the chances that they were allowing in Game One, um, so they were doing it on both sides of the uh, both sides of the net. Um, something I did notice. Hedman's ability to quarterback the defense the way that he quarterbacks the power play just on five, five on five is, is amazing. He was standing to Bazzi's right side and Ruta was on the left while the Canadians were playing on the boards behind the net. And Hedman kind of looked around a little bit and then shoved Ruta with his stick, like pushed him towards the boards to put him in the position where he was then able to intercept the pass. And then we got uh, an immediate counterattack off of it. So Hedman's noticing things that other players aren't even noticing in other people's positions. He literally just took his stick and went, boop, just poked him on his ass and pushed him in the right direction. And Ruder was able to make a play immediately. And it was just one of those fleeting things that I saw. And I was like, oh, oh. I was like, that's, that's Norris caliber defense. You know, it, he is all over the ice mentally. He's not just zoned in on what he's got going on. He's seeing everything on the ice better than anyone else is. Ruta was standing in front of the play and didn't even take the opportunity to put himself in that position until Hedman poked him and just pushed him in the right direction. So um, it, it worked. And then Chernak on that rush put one off Tyler Johnson's skate in front of the net and it almost trickled in for a goal. So, I mean, 
again, we wouldn't have that opportunity without somebody stepping up in a big time spot. And then final five, uh, this was the Palat goal. There were a couple things I noticed on this. So I don't know if Edmondson, who was coming around the net, heard somebody call for the puck, but I'm going to draw this up too. And then, so Edmondson's coming around the net on Price's left side. So he's working up towards the blue line. He doesn't look behind him, but he just plays the reverse back. So Edmondson down here is coming up this way. He plays the puck back. Palak is screaming down into this corner here. And if you're listening on Spotify, I'm, I'm, or an audio I'm drawing on the whiteboard, I'll do my best to describe what I'm doing. But Palat is screaming towards the boards to the right of Price. And Price is looking to his left at Edmondson. So the D-man or the forward, whoever was supposed to get on Price or on, on Palat is five, six steps behind him not even close. Edmondson doesn't even turn around to play the reverse because Edmondson's heading in the opposite direction. Palat meets the puck right here, right at the, at the right post and just plays it in off of Price's skate into the back of the net. This dude is nowhere to be found. So yeah. Edmondson, I don't know if he heard something because usually when you play a reverse like that, you're like behind, behind, or like Eddie behind or something like that. For him to know that you're there, it's just no look, pass it back on a reverse. Edmondson's looking up the ice. He can see that the Lightning haven't cleared the zone yet. So he knows that Palat is in that vicinity somewhere and still plays the puck back that way. So I think Edmondson heard somebody call for that puck, or I don't know what happened. But he decided to play it back, and Palat scores off of it. Now, it's not Edmondson's fault, although he was the catalyst there. Price was so lackadaisical in his effort. He was standing shoulders down, looking over his shoulder at Edmondson. When he played that puck back, he didn't even get into a set position until he realized that Palat was standing right there. He kind of just drifted over to his right and looked and then tried to get down to make the save, and he ends up taking a puck off the skate into the back of the net. Price, when, when you watch Bazzi with plays behind the net, he's still, you know, hands up in the butterfly position until that puck is pushed up the ice. Because you never know what's going to happen, especially when your D-men aren't the only ones in, in your zone. If you still have attackers floating around your zone, you don't know if that puck's going to take a bad bounce. You don't know if somebody's going to make a stupid play. You know, you have to be ready for that. And Price, you don't see that out of him very often. And those are the chances that the Lightning need to take advantage of when they're not playing a full 60 like that. And Bazzi is the only reason why they're still in the game. But that was the dagger. When you go up 3-1, under five minutes left on a goal like that, and the last two goals that the Lightning score really shouldn't even be goals to begin with, what do you do? You're looking at your coach. You're looking at the whiteboard. You're like, we've we've outshot them. At that point, the shots were doubled. It was like 39 to 19 or something like that, the shot count. 
You've doubled the shots. You've spent the majority of the game in the Tampa Bay zone and you can't get it done. And you watch goals like this go in. It just has to be so deflating. Were you still in the bar for that goal? And the goal? Uh, no, I was I left. Oh, no. I wanted to hear the reaction out of the people at the bar. I was leaving at the second had it on my phone. Mm -hmm. um, at that point, I mean, the full 60 stuff, I mean, they played a full 20. It was in the third, though. Like, after that goal, Sorelli started flying around, too. He took a huge chunk out of Anderson right at the blue line in the de uh, Tampa defensive zone. And, you know, I mean, the puck was there, but, I mean, he took his liberties and went at him. So they're still playing hard hockey, even, you know, taking the wind out of the Canadian sails. They're like, okay, they're, they, there's blood in the water. So they're going straight at it. Uh, two minutes left. Um, Price goes to the bench. Vazzy makes a huge blocker save on a shot from the blue line. It was absolutely ripped. Um, goes down to one minute. Sorelli gets the puck and backhands it from behind Vazzy and just misses the empty netted goal by like a couple inches. Um, dog, dude, so funny. Um, and then 40 seconds left right after that shot, Habs use their timeout, try to draw something up on the whiteboard because it came down for icing. So they're taking the face off in the Tampa zone. Um, Bazzi makes another save with 25 seconds left. And that's, the game was over at, at 45 as it is. When they took that timeout, they, that wasn't gonna refresh anything. They're down two goals. Price has been out of net for a minute and some change now. Vasilevsky is just lights out. Wide-eyed, lights out. He has been the whole game. You're not going to get two by him in, in 45 seconds. So, game ends right as the buzzer is about to go. Uh, Deneau takes a run at Sergachev uh, on the boards way after the puck had been cleared out of the zone causes a huge scrum. Corey Perry gets into the mix of it, of course, throwing yeah, throwing punches at Hedman um, well after the buzzer is gone. But I'm, the Bolts did a good job of just kind of defending themselves without instigating any further, you know, waving to the crowd and taking the second game. Go to the locker room. You're up 2 nothing in the series. There's no reason for you to get involved with antics like that. And for the Canadians to show that kind of fight after the buzzer was confusing for me. Where was that the whole game? Because in game one, they were always involved with extracurriculars. After the whistle, behind the play, there was always something going on. Kucherov and Perry got into it in the third period behind the play too. Um, nothing was called, nothing malicious, but they were going at it the whole game. Um, but other than that, I mean, the tenacity that you saw out of the Canadians in game one wasn't there at all. There were no extracurriculars that warranted anybody going to the box except for there was a the uh, four on four with Chernak and I don't remember the Haps player, but um, that was really the only penalties that were handed out for extracurricular activities. So, I mean, overall, I'm not really happy with how the Lightning played. Um, I don't know if that's just because our standards are so high with what they've been able to accomplish and how they usually run around the ice. Um, they got to clean it up 
a little bit. They got to get more chances and they got to go full 60. That's going to be the theme for the rest of the series. It's full 60. So I, I noticed something that was uh, not as good as usual from the Lightning. And one thing I think the Lightning are better than anybody at is moving up the ice quickly, getting through the neutral zone with one pass, blue line to blue line and out into the zone. And none of those passes, we couldn't hit tape on any of our passes through the neutral zone. It was like blue line to, you know, the defense or to a uh, price. It was nothing was hitting tape. We couldn't make it through the neutral zone. And that's got to change. Yeah, when the pucks were dumped in, they were chased, but they weren't recovered. Um, I mean, it allowed us to rotate lines quickly. There weren't, like in game one, they would have the ticker up on the score box, tracking everybody's time for their shifts. And there were multiple shifts where people were going over a minute, 32 minutes. I didn't see, I think I saw one or two minute 30 shifts tonight. And I think that might've had something to do with it. Those missed passes. Um, but on the reverse side of that, the Canadians through the neutral zone were so swift and crisp. Yeah. They had no issues skating through the middle of the ice into, in, to get set up in the offensive zone. It was night and day compared to game one. There was a long shift. Um, there was a long shift that was really good. Uh, they fought hard was when Tyler Johnson had a, sh a shot block. Mm, right off the knee. Yeah, and he was hurt for 50 seconds on the ice. Yeah. Kept his body right in front of the net the whole time. Was limping around. Uh, everybody on the ice with him. Um, they looked gassed. And that was really yeah. the only one that I noticed that I was like, oh, shit, we're tired. You know, and it stuck out because it wasn't really like that all game. Um, they did a great job of running all four lines. I do think Joe, I mean, Joseph is not on the stat sheet, but he really stepped up in the spot where he needed to. Um, Colton kind of disappeared a little bit this game. I don't know if that was uh, because he didn't have his bounce with Johnson like they had with that that chemistry that they've been able to build throughout the playoffs. So I don't know if that was a change up. Maybe he wasn't used to playing center as much because he's been playing on, I think the left wing mostly. Um, but Matthew came in and skated and skated and skated. He was fast on the puck. You texted me halfway through the game talking about how fast Joseph looked. So um, I noticed it after that. I was like, holy shit, this kid is lying right now. Um, he was laying body too. I forget how big he is. Because uh, when you see him in like his pictures where he's wearing a suit and stuff, you don't really notice how large he is until he gets on the ice. He's tall. He's over six foot. And he's fast. And you feel those checks because he does it all game. Um, so he was laying the body throughout all of his shifts. He was all over the ice. And I think, you know, again, going back to rotating the lines out, that gives people a chance to take a breath especially when you have a fierce attack like that third line looked good they produced another goal with the coleman one and the goodrow passed to coleman which was perfect goodrow made a little move entering the zone and that's what opened up space for that 
insane Coleman goal. So still good things coming from the third line. Um, but overall, like you said, it was a little lethargic. So, I mean, going into Montreal, uh, I mean, we, my prediction initially was we were going to drop this game tonight. I was just trying to be unbiased. If, you know, if I'm not being biased, I said we were going to sweep them as it is. So, I mean, 2-0. The one thing I loved seeing at the end of the game was when they put up the schedule for the rest of the series and game five says, if necessary. I love that. After two games and that game five says, if necessary, that, like, I got butterflies. It was weird. Small stuff like that, just hinting at the fact that we might get a sweep. Cool. But, I mean, go up to the Stanley Cup Finals, and I don't know what's more deflating for the Canadians, and you can give me your opinion on this, too. Your game one performance of being absolutely just bombarded with heavy rushes, you can look at the box score and say, this is why we lost. Then you go game two and you do everything right. And Vazzy just absolutely stands on his head and bails the lightning out the entire game. And then we get two very weird opportunities between the Coleman goal and the Palat goal to go 3-1 in the game. Which is more deflating for you? Um, definitely this game. <laughs> it's like when you play bad, it's easy to be like, you know, these, this is what we did wrong. This is how we fix it. It's our fault. Let's go do it. I think if you play good and they know they just played a, a mediocre lightning team. Like they know that for 40 minutes they were playing 60%. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're playing well and the other team's not and you can't get it in the back of the net, that's it's a hard one to deal with. Yeah. And if it's not the oppressive uh, offensive and defensive rush of the lightning, it's Vazzy. Like, and it's funny because sometimes those things link up and you'll get 40 shots on goal and still lose five to one. And Vazzy and the forward and defensive lines just mesh and play an outstanding game. But that's usually not what happens. It's usually one or the other. Like Vazzy doesn't have a chance to show what he has. He has flashes here and there. But because of how oppressive the lightning can be on puck, it doesn't allow you to get the chances that they had tonight. So they needed to go into this game with that mindset. And they did. And they didn't have it. And I agree with you. I think that's more deflating. And then you look back on both games and how different they were from both sides of the puck. And you say, what are we supposed to do? You know, like, where do you go from here to try to rectify? Do you just maintain the mindset that you've had going into game two? Probably. I think that's the only way that you can really psychologically deal with that. Because if I was in in the Hab situation right now, I'm looking back on the last two games going, how did we not at least pull the last one out of our ass? 
you know, I mean, and to only get one goal, that's tough. Now what? They have two goals in two games, and the Lightning have eight. So with a mediocre performance today, or eight or seven? No, eight, yeah, because uh, five and three. So um, they had more production from the the Foley, Caulfield, Suzuki line, but I just think maybe, you know, you hit the hard reset button, you're going home, you're going to be in Montreal. I think once they get off the ice in that third period after that loss and then they see the news that they're not going to have 10,000 people in the stands, like they may have thought they were going into the game, they're going home to 3,500 people. So I think home ice still has a factor. I think fans bring a big piece of that factor. Um, but I don't see the Canadians changing a whole lot of what they did in game two compared to game three. I think they go in with the same mindset. Yeah. <laughs> So I have one more thing to add, and it's a prediction. I think that Braden Point scored. Okay, so Braden Point again, they don't find the back of the net. Um, three games in a row now. Yeah. But the power play was, uh, we didn't capitalize on it, but it was looking good. You know, like Kucherov was getting, Kucherov was getting his shots in. And then Kucherov was getting – he even had, you know, his, like, signature fake shot past the point with the yeah. one-time. No look, point. yeah. Um, so he had a couple of those passes into the slot, and uh, I, I just feel like Point's going to have a two-goal game. I mean, he's due. Yeah. He's due. Go three goal – or three games without a goal. I mean, they've won all three. I'm sure that his competitive mindset is still – Okay, we won. I'm sure he's not going to the locker room going, fuck, I didn't produce tonight. You know, I'm sure he had glimpses of that during the game, but getting the result is is still the optimal situation. So, but yes, he is 100% due. I think he gets two. Same thing. Killer's probably going to be back uh, for game three, I'd imagine, because he's just listed as day to day. Um, and I don't think he even took warm-ups today. So that'll be a telling sign. Um, you know, if we see him on the Bolts Instagram in practice, um, or if we see something on Twitter, of them experimenting with lines, like maybe he has a lessened role. But I also don't think they want to rush him back. It's, it's definitely, it's not a muscle thing. I mean, he took a hard shot off of his lower leg. So that's not something that necessarily if you rush back would be detrimental long-term unless he has some kind of structural damage. Um, but being listed as day to day, I don't think the structural damage is there. You know, if they were going to him for the series, they would have pulled them for the series unless they want to play mind games, which is totally fine with me. Um, but I think if he's out there game three point notches too pretty easily, especially on the power play. Um, the Canadians are going to be desperate to crawl their way back into this series um, after two deflating losses in two completely different ways. They're going to be coming out full head of steam. And it shows the end of the game. That's the attitude that they're going to have for the rest of the series now.
They have to. If they want any hope of crawling the way back in, they're going to need to just pick on players. So um, I think point is definitely due. I also think that Colton, I still think Colton's going to notch one or two this series. I think he has to. Um, his chances in game one were too big for him to not have those again. And maybe Killer coming back and Johnson getting dropped back to the fourth line is going to be good for him. It's somebody who matches his ability. They're very, very similar in their style of play. So um, I think it's kind of like a two-headed monster type thing uh, between the two of them. And then Maroon just doing what he does, controlling the puck on the boards and giving them opportunities and space to work with. I think that's going to change it a lot. So I'm expecting Point to score at least one goal. If he scores one early, he's getting two. Um, and I think Colton's going to notch one in the next two games for sure. So do you have a score prediction after the two weird games that we've seen so far? Um, I'm going to go with four, three, Four or three bolts or no, four, four. Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a possibility. And we've kind of seen a little bit of everything already in two games. So I guess nothing will surprise me at this point. Um, if I want to be realistic, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, if the, if Montreal wins, it's going to be high scoring. It's not going to be a 1-0 or a 2-0, and they're not going to blow them out. You know, it's either going to be a 1-0 or it's going to be, like you said, like a 4-3 or a 5-4 or something like that, or a 6-4 with a late empty net goal. Um, but honestly, if Kalorn's back in the lineup, I still think the Lightning take this game. If they take game three, the series is over. And I know it's really bad luck to say that, but – if they take game three, this this Tampa Bay team does not get reverse swept. It doesn't happen. No, way. Uh, not, a not a chance. Oh, that, okay. that reminds uh, me of Modine interview. Um, there's a Modine interview on NBCSN game, and they asked him what he thought about Tampa, and then they said what's your prediction how many games and he said i can't tell you how many games all i know is this tampa team can't be beat in a series mm. yeah <laughs> he's like there's no they, they're too good to lose yeah especially going up 2-0 and i know it was before the game um but going up 2-0 i think that kind of locks it you know there's no way that they lose four in a row now or they win or they you know they don't go three one on the losing side of this series you know if they drop one on game three i don't see them losing another one they haven't lost two games in a row in the playoffs going back to last season so and i noticed about halfway through the game that i was wearing the 2019 playoffs t-shirt and i got really nervous <laughs> really nervous that I'm very superstitious and I was like oh shit halfway through the game you know the bolts are getting outshot 20 something to nine and I almost took the shirt off and I didn't do it because 
it's just you got to kind of roll with it at that point. So um, I know that the shirt is in bad luck now, but it it is very nerve wracking to know that I know it's not the same squad, but shit happens in the playoffs that you don't expect to happen. So I still think that they come out. I mean, at at the least now it's four one. They don't get the sweep. It's four one. So yeah. yeah, I didn't like what we saw, but I don't think they come out and do the same thing. And the Bolts don't lose two in a row. So at this point in the series, up to nothing, and they don't lose two in a row. I mean, what's the math on that? They win the series, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, Lose awesome. tomorrow, win, lose, win. Yeah, it's four two. So they don't lose two in a row. The this series is done. We got in the cup. Knock on wood, of course. So well, thank you again. I'll do our social tags one more time. Twitter, LHF underscore pod. Um, we have six platforms that this is on now. I will link them in the YouTube description. Um, my medium page is austinjandrews.medium.com. I will be having a, uh, a game recap coming out tomorrow at some point typed up on there. I did one for the last game and one for the series preview. So I'll just keep that going. I've gotten good reception so far, so not so bad. Um, and I think that's pretty much it, man. Oh, and our Gmail, uh, lowhangingfruitpod at gmail.com. Just shoot us something. So if you if you want to, I'm gonna fix my my microphones. Oh, you are. Yeah. You want to Amazon me one? Yeah. <laughs> no, um, we'll figure it out. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a microphone. I listened to the playback of the first recap, and it wasn't terrible, but there was some there was some. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's over Zoom, too, so that is shoddy sometimes, but it's been good so far. Shout out to Zoom. Thank you. Yeah. All right, man. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.